This podcast is brought to you by RMA, the Risk Management Association. RMA's sole purpose is to advance the use of sound risk management principles in the financial services industry. Learn more at rmahq.org. Hi, I'm Stephen Krasowski, Communications Manager at RMA. Despite the associated challenges surrounding the pandemic, preparedness will be the key to CECL. It is important that we actively identify the issues that will create complications and address them in preparing the estimate. Work in advance to discuss and clear issues or positions with the auditors and regulators and determine that there are controls in place to make sure everything gets done right. Today, I'm joined by Benjamin Hoffman, Managing Director of Financial Risk Management at KPMG, and Joseph Bilecki, Director Advisory of Financial Risk Management at KPMG. Thank you both for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Joe, can you talk a little bit about the volatility of CECL estimates before and during COVID, where they currently stand and where you see them headed this year? Great question. So when you think about it, one of the primary goals of the CECL accounting changes was to adapt more quickly and reflect changes more quickly uh, as economic environments changed. CECL was actually adopted 1-1-2020 by most uh, financial statement preparers. So in terms of pre-COVID, there was really only that one data point to go off of, uh, and that was a fairly benign economic environment. Things changed pretty rapidly thereafter, um, as by the end of March, uh, the end of the first reporting quarter post-COVID, there was uh, state shutdowns and estimates escalated quickly, um, which is in alignment with the intended objective of CECL. There were further escalations as we proceeded into Q2, and the depth of the COVID impact started to be understood more clearly. Um, but at that point, there might have still been um, an overreaction, um, as it wasn't clear yet how much impact the stimulus packages could have uh, that positive offsetting impact. By Q3, we began to see CECL estimates steady. Uh, if not come down a little. Uh, so it's been a bit of a roller coaster. As we head into 2021, I would anticipate that we continue to see CECL uh, estimates come down, uh, but only slowly. I think one of the things that people still feel fairly unsure of is we haven't seen uh, the significant number or amount of charge-offs that might be expected given a economic crisis of this magnitude. Um, and we're still not certain if uh, the stimulus was, was merely completely effective in eliminating these losses, or did it just mask those losses, and we're still waiting to see those in 2021. Some of the most significant impacts on CECL estimates are occurring as a result of the COVID-related modifications. Could you talk about some of these modifications? Sure, thanks. So in terms of kind of the impact, I really think about it in two dimensions. First, from a magnitude perspective, in other words, what is driving significant changes in the estimate? And for many of our clients, the biggest driver remains changes in the economic forecast. The second dimension, though, is complexity. And here's where the COVID-related modifications really have a significant impact, particularly as many of these loans have gone back to paying status as of 12:31. So we have complexity around tracking and monitoring the modifications, but also how do we model their prospective performance given the lack of relevant historical data? And frankly, many of them don't have a good sense of you know, what their 2021 financials and long-term financials will be, given the continued kind of challenges with shutdowns and reduced uh, involvement with certain activities. 
Um, so it makes it very challenging to estimate the risk for these loans. And this requires a lot of assumptions and judgments by managers. So, so institutions kind of looked at these for, for different buckets and, and depends really on are they residential loans and, and real, retail loans or are they commercial loans? So thinking about some of the residential loans, well, which loans deferred once may have gone back to paying status versus those that took a second deferral and are now um, paying versus those that may be still on deferral or, or having challenges paying even after the deferral period was up. And kind of thinking about where in the spectrum of risk do they fall? Are these some of these loans effectively similar to a loan that was current all along? Or is it a closer a loan that was 30 days past due? Is it somewhere in between? And so these are the types of questions that many institutions are, are grappling with. And on the commercial side, how do you perform out debt coverage you know, ratios and NOIs and things like that for commercial real estate? So figuring out where the risk on these loans can be quite challenging. Uh, and then the other piece of it is charge-offs have been much lower than predicted by many models given 2020's economic performance. But how much of that is avoided, as Joe was talking about, because of the unprecedented government stimulus? And how much is deferred into 2021, particularly now with another round of stimulus that's going to be taking effect? So management really needs to think about how all these factors interact with each other as they go about making the estimate. So, Joe, credit characteristics of the portfolio may have an impact on the estimate of credit losses if loss estimation processes are not adjusted to address the impact. What are some of the challenges from these modifications? I think the biggest challenge of these modifications is that it creates the potential for hidden risks. Uh, in other words, if a modification has existed for an extended period uh, on a given loan, uh, should that loan really be treated as current just because a modification was granted? Or should it be looked at as if it's, you know, 180 days past due or, or potentially more uh, from a loss estimation perspective? How do we think about the underlying financial statements of the borrower, you know, especially if it's a, a commercial type asset? Um, you know, do we think that they're going to have the ability to recover from this crisis or do we think that they're going to continue to struggle? It could affect uh, characteristics such as those made in segmentation decisions where you know, previously things with perhaps like collateral uh, may have been grouped, but now you need to consider also what industry uh, is that operating in. Um, you know, as certain industries, you know, especially those related to travel and uh, entertainment have been really hard hit uh, by the nature of this crisis. So thinking about all of those things where you made assumptions and you made decisions in creating a CECL process in, in saying this is this is how we're going to estimate CECL and revisiting literally all of those decisions and saying is this still the appropriate decision is is the way that these assets appear is that actually reality um, or is there something else that I need to think about and are there hidden risks Ben the volatility in economic forecasts could have a significant impact on CECL estimates. Could you talk a little bit about this and what banks can do to prepare for such forecast uncertainty? Yeah, great question. You know, I think the biggest opportunity to prepare for this volatility is really kind of robust scenario um, and stress testing kind of analysis capabilities and, and looking at kind of a really wide range of scenarios. Um, you know, some people might feed Moody's or Oxford or other scenarios through their models, but there might also be kind of other variations on those scenarios. And, and to really understand what is the potential range of outcomes and how that volatility might occur quarter over quarter, depending on the sequence of events that occur. And then, you know, within those scenarios, the ability to drill down into the key drivers of the estimates to 
really understand, well, what's driving those differences across the scenarios relative to what's going on in the underlying portfolio? You know, some of those sources of imprecision that might necessitate a qualitative adjustment, either positive or negative, might be some of the deferrals and, and what's going on with them that we've been talking about. How much of the kind of NOI and, and other deterioration is already reflected in risk ratings to the extent an organization is using risk ratings or you know, those metrics um, themselves really drive kind of management's understanding of the impact that those scenarios might have. You know, rewind a couple of quarters, many of those values might still be 1231 numbers and, and reflect a you know, kind of a stable, slightly growing economy. Over time, more of those are going to be replaced with kind of post-COVID numbers. Well, how does that, are you double counting the impact of the adverse scenario that you've already if you're using pro forma numbers, you're already capturing that as well. So how does management think about those types of risks as they're going about both capturing that on, a, on an individual kind of rating slash financial metric level, but also using the, the forecast provided you know, by either the vendor or internally developed. Um, so qualitative adjustments may be necessary to kind of a better align the loss forecast with the true level of risk in the portfolio. Uh, the other way we've seen kind of banks approach the volatility really gets down to kind of using multiple scenarios. Um, many institutions use the single scenario approach from a complexity perspective or a less complex perspective, you know, at 1-1 at the transition date. Um, but we've seen many switch to either directly using multiple scenarios or implicitly, you know, applying qualitative factors based on multiple scenarios. Um, and then tweaking the weights of the different scenarios as we've, as we've moved through the year to reflect um, information that may be subsequent to the development of the forecast, but prior to the end of the financial reporting period. So that we see a lot more activity in kind of how banks think about the scenarios and what are the appropriate ones to use to help them uh, create the best estimate in face of that uncertainty. Joe, moving on to modeling, how are model limitations affecting CISO estimates and what could banks do about that? Well, if you think about it, models are always based on data. That data comes from our history. These are things that have been historically observed. We have not, in the history that's being used by these banks, you know, really since at least the early 1900s, seen something like what we're seeing with COVID. And that creates a model limitation as models designed on the specific set of data, whether it's the past 10 years, 15 years, or 30 years, all of which independently seem like a significant amount of data, something that you could base a model on. But because this has never been seen in those periods, you really get the tendency of models in this case to uh, create something that's based on those observations, but not necessarily indicative of where intuitively you would expect uh, your losses to come out given you know, the, the exact way that this circumstance is playing out. Most significantly, we've never seen this level of government assistance before. So the various stimulus packages that have already been passed uh, and that may be passed uh, during the course of 2021 are affecting these loss estimates in ways that can't properly be modeled based on historical data as that's not really in existence in the historical data. Further, the, the magnitude and speed of change hasn't really been in existence in those last 10, 15, 30 year periods. Uh, generally you see uh, a recession happen with uh, sort of a steep incline, you know, let's say for unemployment rate where, where things devolve quickly. 
And then you see an improvement that takes a fair amount of time to achieve, you know, generally two to three years. Those changes, even in the historical data points of 2020, are still affecting our estimates uh, at 2020 year end and in 2021 uh, due to lead lag relationships that might be used. And so we need to think about the volatility that those rapid changes are creating in our model estimate. Are they causing our probabilities of default to rapidly increase to levels that are above expectations and then also rapidly decrease uh, as it looks like unemployment's uh, massively improving, but in fact, it's just better capturing kind of a very temporary effect. Um, it's also reduced our ability to utilize uh, perhaps some of those variables that um, were, were always dependable in, in historical modeling, like unemployment, like changes in GDP. Those have always had a really strong relationship with loss, uh, but due to the stimulus, we're not seeing that. So do we need to look to alternative models, perhaps, um, with different variables that um, have remained more steady, perhaps, um, and better capture our thoughts on risk of loss in this environment. So those rapid and significant changes, as well as the stimulus package, is just creating a set of circumstances that is confusing models and potentially requiring qualitative adjustments and or management overrides, um, which can be very significant and they can also be both positive or negative, depending on circumstance. Ben, the 2020 economy and COVID-related impacts are creating a need to revisit certain accounting policy elections and assumptions. What are some of these elections and assumptions? Sure. I, th I think there's a, a couple of different things that come to mind here. You know, certainly Joe's talked a lot about the, the relevance of the historical data in a post-COVID world, you know, and in Thinking about there, we always have a lot of attention on you know things like you know, probability default and, and loss given default, and you know obviously those are significant drivers of the estimate. But there's a lot of other assumptions, you know, prepayment rates and you know kind of extension considerations that you know may have very different expectations of, of behavior in a post-COVID world than they did before. Maybe for some portfolios and segments, it's very similar, but those need to be kind of reevaluated and, and, and rethought through to make sure they, they remain valid post-COVID. You know, this is the second one, you know, we talked a little bit about this earlier, kind of shift from single to multiple scenarios, you know, and kind of how institutions think about managing that risk so we, and, and why those assumptions make sense. You know, it's not enough simply to say, oh, we think the risk of a downturn is higher. So we're moving, you know, say Moody's S3 scenario from 30% to 50%. There really needs to be a robust rationale or what, what is driving those decisions and and that can be challenging for for organizations and kind of the, the third thing that, that comes to mind is a lot of institutions have elected to kind of reverse accrued interest in a timely manner you know which made sense kind of in a pre-covid world but kind of when i think about post-covid and, and all the deferrals you know is there a risk you know particularly across financial reporting periods where you've deferred a lot of interest you know and the borrower is still not paying and ultimately you're looking at you know 6 months later 9 months later a year later you know and potentially having to reverse that that interest and and should a different approach have been taken really considering that to the facts and circumstances of your organization Joe controls and governance are some of the most important aspects of financial statement preparation how important are controls in identifying and tracking COVID-related modifications in CECL estimates? Well, we've already talked quite extensively about the, the complexities and the complications that modifications and the environment as a whole 
have brought to the Cecil estimate, what's really necessary is management judgment. Management judgment might be used in overrides. It might be used in qualitatives. It could be used in decision-making, including you know any of the policy decisions or key assumptions like prepayment that Ben just discussed. Anytime you're executing changes, governance is necessary. But when those changes rely on judgment, it's even more so necessary. So one of the really important things for all financial statement preparers to understand as they address the Cecil estimate in the COVID environment is that those estimates might require a higher level of judgment, a more impactful judgment. The magnitude of the impact could be potentially much more than materiality. And so those governance controls and the, and the activity level controls that make sure that the individual calculations that support these judgments are accurate um, because become much more impactful and much more important purely because of the extent of judgment and the impact of judgment in addressing these very unique coronavirus-related circumstances. So Ben, to wrap up, what can banks do now to prepare for the transition to CECL in such a volatile environment? Yeah, for the banks that haven't transitioned already, I think it's a lot of the same you know, advice for, we talked about earlier for how do you manage that volatility? You know, the ability to, you know, kind of think about, you know, different scenarios and, and kind of model out those different outcomes to understand the impact on the portfolio. Um, thinking about kind of different horizons and, and how that might drive, you know, particularly things that you might not really have thought about before in terms of maturities of assets and, you know, the impact that Cecil has on long dated assets relative to short dated assets um, compared to the incurred method. And so kind of really making sure that you're kind of thinking through what are those kind of complex series of, of inputs in, and then kind of running some sensitivities to those key assumptions. Well, if the duration of the portfolio shortens by, you know, three months, six months, a year, what have you, or lengthens, well, what impact that has on the estimate? So really kind of understanding kind of all those different levers that could drive a change in the estimate, you know, as the portfolio evolves through time, I think is something that will really help you know, management make informed decisions about how they, they run the business. And, and I think that's ultimately sometimes we lose track of trying to think of, well, what's the loss estimate in isolation? But it's also driven by what are the assumptions and the loans you're making and how you're running the business and making sure those two things are linked up and, and how the business is being managed is, is something we think is really key. And so that's how I, that holistic way of approaching the portfolio, I think is what what I would do if I was transitioning to Cecil forthcoming. Great discussion. Thank you, Ben and Joe, for joining us today. Please check out their full article on this topic, which appears in the February edition of the RMA Journal.